Chapter 7 of The Four Pools Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Four Pools Mystery by Jean Webster. Chapter 7 We Send Him Back Again. The detective came. He was an inoffensive young man, and he set to work to unravel the mystery of the hand, with visible delight at the unusual nature of the job. Radnor received him in a spirit of almost anxious hospitality. A horse was given him to ride. Guns and fishing tackle were placed at his disposal. A box of the colonel's best cigars stood on the table of his room and Solomon, at his elbow, presented a succession of ever-freshly mixed mint-juleps. I think that he was dazed and a trifle suspicious at these unexpected attentions. He was not used to the largeness of southern hospitality. However, he set to work with an admirable zeal. He interviewed the servants and farmhands and the information he received in regard to things in supernatural would have filled three volumes. He was staggered by the amount of evidence at hand rather than the scarcity. He examined the safe and the library window with a microscope, crawled about the laurel walk on his hands and knees, sent off telegrams and gossiped with the loungers at Miller's place. He interviewed the Colonel and Radnor, cross-examined me, and wrote down always copious notes. The young man's manner was preeminently professional. Finally, one evening, it was four days after his arrival, he joined me as I was strolling in the garden, smoking an after-dinner pipe. "'May I have just a word with you, Mr. Crosby?' he asked. I am at your service, Mr. Clancy, said I. His manner was gravely portentous, and prepared me for the statement that was coming. I have spotted my man, he said. I know who stole the securities, but I am afraid that the information will not be welcome. Under the circumstances it seemed wisest to make my report to you rather than to Colonel Gaylord and we can decide between us what is best to do. What do you mean? I demanded. In spite of my effort at composure, there was anxiety in my tone. The thief is Radnor Gaylord. I laughed. That is absolutely untenable. Rad is incapable of such an act in the first place, and in the second he was not in the house when the robbery occurred. Ah! Then you know that. And where was he, pray? That, I said, is his own affair. If he did not tell you, it is because it is not connected with the case. So, it is just because it is connected with the case that he did not tell me. I will tell you, however, where he spent the night. He drove to Kennersburg, a larger town than Lambert Corners, where an unusual letter would create no comment and mailed the bonds to a Washington firm of brokers, with whom he has had some dealings. He took the bag of coin and several unimportant papers in order to deflect suspicion, 
and his opening the safe the night before for the hundred dollars was merely a ruse to allow him to forget and leave it open, so that the bonds could appear to be stolen by someone else. Just what led him to commit the act, I won't say. He has been in a tight place for several months back in regard to money. Last January he turned a $2,000 mortgage that his father had given him on his 21st birthday into cash, and what he did with the cash I haven't been able to discover. In any case, his father knows nothing of the transaction. He thinks that Radnor still holds the mortgage. This spring the young man was hard up again, and no more mortgages left to sell. He probably did not regard the appropriation of the bonds as stealing, since everything by his father's will was to come to him ultimately. As to all this hocus-pocus about the hand, that is easily explained. He needn't a scapegoat on whom to turn the blame when the bonds should disappear, so he and this cat I mose between them invented a ghost. The negro is a half-crazy fellow who from the first has been young Gaylord's tool. I don't think he knew what he was doing sufficiently to be blamed. As for Gaylord himself, I fancy there was a third person somewhere in the background who was pressing him for money and who couldn't be shaken off till the money was forthcoming. But whatever his motive for taking the bonds, there is no doubt about the fact and I have come to you with the story, rather than to his father. It is absolutely impossible, I returned. Radnor, whatever his faults, is an honourable man in regard to money matters. I have his word that he knows no more about the robbery of these bonds than I do. The detective laughed. There is just one kind of evidence that doesn't count for much in my profession, and that is a man's word. We looked for something a little more tangible, such as this, for example. He drew from his pocket an envelope, took from it a letter, and handed it to me. It was a typewritten communication from a firm of brokers in Washington. Radnor F. Gaylord, Esquire, Four Pools Plantation, Lambert Corners, VA. Dear Mr. Gaylord, we are in receipt of your favour of April 29th, in regard to the sale of the bonds. The market is rather slow at present, and we shall have to sell at ninety-eight and a quarter. If you care to hold on to them a few months longer, there is every chance of the market picking up, and we feel sure that in the end you will find them a good investment." Awaiting your further orders, and thanking you for past favours. We are, very truly yours, Jacoby Haight and Co. Where did you get hold of that? I asked. It strikes me it's a private letter. Very private, the young man agreed. I had trouble enough in getting hold of it. I had to do some fishing with a hook and pole over the transom of Mr. Gaylord's door. He had very kindly put the tackle at my disposal. You weren't called down here to open family's private letters, I said hotly. I was called down here to find out who stole Colonel Gaylord's bonds, and I've done it. 
I was silent for a moment. This letter from the brokers staggered me. April 29th was the date of the robbery, and I could think of no explanation. Clancy, noticing my silence, elaborated this theory with a growing air of triumph. This Mose was left behind the night of the robbery with orders to rouse the house while Radnor was away. Mose is a good actor, and he fooled you. The obvious suspicion was that the ghost had stolen the bonds, and you set out to find him. Somewhat difficult task, as he existed, only in Mose's imagination. I think when you reflect upon the evidence, you will see that my explanation is convincing. It isn't in the least convincing, I retorted. Mose was not acting. He saw something that frightened him half out of his senses, and that something was not Radnor masquerading as a ghost, for Radnor was out of the house when the robbery took place. Not necessarily. The robbery took place early in the evening before all this rumpus occurred. Even if Mose did see a ghost, the ghost had nothing to do with it. You have absolutely no proof of that. It is nothing but surmise. Clancy smiled with an air of patient tolerance. How about the letter? he inquired. How do you explain that? I don't explain it. It is none of my business. But I dare say Radnor will do so readily enough. There he is, going toward the stables. We will call him over. No, hold on. I haven't finished what I want to say. I was employed by Colonel Gaylord to find out who stole the bonds, and I have done so. But the Colonel did not suspect the direction my investigations would take, or he never would have engaged me. Now I am wondering if it would not be kinder not to let him know. He's had trouble enough with the elder son. Radnor is all he has left. The young man seems to me like a really decent fellow. I dare say he'll straighten up and amount to something yet. Probably he considered the money as practically his already. Anyway, he's been decent to me, and I should like to do him a service. Now say we three talk it over together and settle it out of court as it were. I've put in my time down here, and I've got to have my pay but perhaps it would be better all around if I took it from the young man rather than his father. This struck me as the best way out of the muddle, and a very fair proposition, considering Clancy's point of view. I myself did not for an instant credit his suspicions, but I thought the wisest thing to do was to tell Rad just how the matter stood and let him explain in regard to the letter. I left Clancy waiting in the summer house while I went in search for Rad. I wished to be the one to do the explaining, as I knew he was not likely to take any such accusation calmly. I found him in the stables, and putting my hand on his shoulder, marched him back toward the garden. Rad, I said, Clancy has formed his conclusions as to how the bonds left the safe and I want you to convince him that he is mistaken. Well, let's hear his conclusions. He thinks that you took them when you took the money. You mean that I stole them? That's what he thinks. He does, does he? 
Well, he can prove it. Radnor broke away from me and strode toward the summer house. The detective received his onslaught placidly. His manner suggested that he was used to dealing with excitable young men. Sit down, Mr. Gaylord, and let's discuss this matter quietly. If you listen to reason, I assure you it will go no further. Do you mean to say that you accuse me of stealing those bonds? Radnor shouted. Clancy held up a warning hand. Don't talk so loud. Someone will hear you. Sit down. He nodded toward a seat on the other side of the little rustic table. I will explain the matter as I see it, and if you can disprove any of my statements, I shall be more than glad to have you. Radnor subsided and listened scowlingly while the detective outlined his theory in a perfectly non-personal way, and ended by producing the letter. Where did you get that? Rad demanded. Out of your coat pocket, which I hooked over the transom of the door. He made the statement imperturbably. It was evidently a matter of everyday routine. So you enter gentlemen's houses as their guest, and spend your time sneaking about reading their private correspondence? An angry gleam appeared in Clancy's eye, and he rose to his feet. I did not come to your house as your guest. I came on business for Colonel Gaylord. Now that my business is completed, I will make my report to him and go. Radnor rose also. It's a lie, and you haven't a word of proof to show. Clancy significantly tapped the pocket that held the letter. That, said Radnor contemptuously, refers to two bonds which I bought last winter with some money I got from selling a mortgage. I preferred to have the investment in bonds because they are more readily negotiable. I left them at the brokers as collateral for another investment I was making. Last week I needed some ready money and wrote to them to sell. My statement can easily be substantiated. No reputable detective would ever base any such observed charge on the contents of a letter he did not understand. Of course, said the detective, we have tried to get at the matter from the other end, but Jacoby, Haight and Company refused to discuss the affairs of their clients. I did not press the point as I did not want to stir up comment. However, he smiled, I must confess, Mr. Gaylord, that I think your explanation a trifle fishy. Perhaps you will answer one question. Did you mail your letter to them in Kennisburg, the night of the robbery, with a special delivery stamp? It happens that I did, but it was merely a coincidence and has nothing to do with the robbery. Will you be kind enough to explain why you drove to Kennisburg in the night and why you needed the money so suddenly? No, I will not. That is a matter which concerns me alone. Very well. As it happens, I do not base my charge on the letter. I had already formed my opinion before I knew of its existence. Do you deny that you yourself have encouraged the belief in the ghost among the Negroes, that on more than one occasion you or your accomplice, Cat I Mose, have masqueraded as the ghost, that while you were pretending to Colonel Gaylord to be as much puzzled by the matter as he, 
You were in truth at the bottom of the whole business. Radnor glanced uneasily at me and hesitated before replying. No, he said at length. I don't deny that, but I do affirm that it has nothing to do with the robbery. The detective laughed. You must excuse me, Mr. Gaylord, if I stick to the opinion that I have solved the puzzle. He turned with a motion toward the house, and Radnor barred the entrance. Do you think I lie when I say I know nothing of those bonds? Yes, Mr. Gaylord, I do. For a moment I thought that Radnor was going to strike him, but I pulled him back and turned to Clancy. He knows nothing about the bonds, said I, but nevertheless you must not take any such story to Colonel Gaylord. He is an old man, and while he would not believe his son guilty of theft, still it would worry him. There is something else that happened that night, entirely uncriminal, but which we do not wish him to hear about. Therefore I am not going to let you go to him with this nonsensical tale that you have cooked up. This was a trial shot on my part, but it hit the bull's eye. Radnor stared but said nothing, and the detective visibly wavered. Now, I added, taking out my checkbook, suppose I pay you what you would have received had you discovered the bonds and dispense with your further services? That's just as you say. I feel that I've done the job and am entitled to the money. If you wish to pay it, all right. Otherwise, I will get it from Colonel Gaylord. I received a retaining fee and was to have two hundred dollars more when I located the bonds. In order not to stir up any bad feeling, I'm willing to take that two hundred dollars from you and drop the matter. It's blackmail, said Radnor. Keep still, Rad, I said. It's very accommodating of Mr. Clancy to see it this way. I wrote out a check and tossed it to the detective. Now go to Colonel Gaylord, I said. Tell him that you have been unsuccessful in finding any clue, that the bonds will almost certainly be marketed in the city, and that your only hope of tracing them is to work from the other end. Then pack your bag and go. A carriage will be ready to take you to the junction in half an hour. Just wait a moment, Mr. Clancy, Rad called after him as he turned away. He drew a notebook from his pocket and ripping out a page scrawled across the face. Jacoby Haight and Company. Gentlemen, you will oblige me by answering any questions which the bearer of this note may ask concerning my past transactions with you. Radnor F. Gaylord. There, said Rad, thrusting it toward him. Kindly make use of that when you get to Washington, and in the future I should advise you to base your charges on something a little more substantial. His manner was insultingly contemptuous, but Clancy swallowed it with smiling good nature. I shall be interested in continuing the investigation, he observed, as he pocketed the paper and withdrew. End of chapter 7